Gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 7 The Kendall and the Acer. Hello, and welcome to episode 107 of You Don't Know Flat. This is uh, actually the seventh episode of the podcast. I know on the last podcast, which was 106, was labeled as 107, and that was wrong. That was 106. This is 107, which is the seventh episode. It's called 107, like whenever you get your first checkbook and they uh, start numbering at number 5,000. So when you go write that first check uh, to the Domino's pizza delivery guy and it's 5,001, you're like, yeah, I've written 5,000 checks. Uh, But you haven't. It's your first. And so this is episode 107 of You Don't Know Flack, which is actually the seventh podcast. But anyway, it's been a while. Uh, Things have been pretty busy around here lately. Uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff associated with my second book, which was Invading Spaces. The book that's all about collecting arcade games. A couple of weekends ago, I attended OEGE, the Oklahoma Electronic Game Expo, where I had a booth. I was signing books and selling books. And I also gave a presentation about the history of arcade games and collecting arcade games. So that was fun. And then last weekend, I attended Nauticon, which is the uh, hacker conference that takes place up in Cleveland, Ohio. Nauticon is super fun. It's a lot different than DEF CON and some of the other hacker cons that I've attended in the past. Nauticon is more focused on uh, create. Ah, uh, now the cat is attacking the blinds in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> oh, things are off to a great start, aren't they, folks? Haven't you missed it? I know I have. Uh, but anyway, not a, Jesus God. Don Piano! Nauticon's a little bit different than a lot of the other hacker cons that I've been to, like DEF CON. And, uh, it's more focused on creativity and you know creating things, and there was just some super cool people there. Uh, got to see a lot of interesting stuff. And also at Nauticon is Block Party, which is now, I guess, tied as the longest-running U.S. demo party. So if you remember the old you know computer demo scene... It's those guys, and it's people that are still making demos. And I tell you what, if you ever want to be just completely blown away with stuff that people are doing, you should definitely attend Block Party. Uh, Just a bunch of super cool guys. Um, Lots of neat stuff going on there. But anyway, I've had a week away from travel, so that's good. And um, so we're going to go ahead and get into episode 107 here. I'm going to be talking about... Two things that I recently bought, which are the Amazon Kindle and the Acer Netbook. So let's go ahead and get started with episode 107. A couple of months ago on Digital Press, one of the forums that I frequent, I posted an unofficial poll asking for people's feedback on what I should buy. My interest was in reading 
books in a mobile and digital fashion. I am not the world's most proficient reader. In fact, I am probably one of the world's least proficient readers. I don't read as much as I would like. And I have blamed that on technology. I don't like physical books, <laughs> which sounds like an odd thing to say. Um, I don't like buying new books. I don't, uh, I think new books, generally speaking, are too expensive. And I don't like going to use bookstores and searching for books. Um, I think I'm spoiled by all the search engine, the online stuff that we have today. If I want an album, I just go online, search for the album and get the album. You know, either I go through iTunes or, you know, uh, BitTorrent or whatever you know means it doesn't matter that the fact is is that from my fingertips I can search the globe instantly and I can't do that with physical books it's it's this big long involved process of finding books so I had kind of narrowed down my search into three different products number one would be reading books on my phone which I almost immediately ruled out I have the uh, Samsung Blackjack 2 and I considered upgrading to either a uh, getting the iPhone or um, an iPod Touch and reading books on that. But boy, I just, the screen just seems too small. So, based on that, my other two options were either the Amazon Kindle 2, which was just recently released, or getting a netbook, one of these small form factor laptops, basically, that are floating around. And so, I, I posted this poll on Digital Press to ask people what their opinion was. And I got so many good responses supporting both purchases that what I finally decided to do was just go ahead and buy both. And <laughs> I do that sometimes. Uh, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to try both of them out. So uh, basically what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give a review of the Kindle 2, and then I'm going to give a review of the Acer 9-inch screen, uh, or the Acer 9 netbook. And uh, for the Acer, of course, I'll talk more than just about, you know, reading books. I'm going to talk all about that. But first of all, I'm going to go ahead and get started talking about the Amazon Kindle 2. Now, the Kindle, as I'm sure most of you know, is what they call an ebook reader. And what does that mean? Well, it's a, a thing that looks like a book. It's the basic uh, size and shape of a book, but it reads ebooks. The Kindle is designed to read Amazon's ebooks, which means you can go to the Amazon store through your Kindle or through your email and purchase books, and it will magically wirelessly send the books to your Kindle. The Kindle can also, uh, through a series of converters, which I'll talk about shortly, read many other types of documents, including, oh, there's converters for almost every type of. Uh, uh, every format of ebook now, and you can convert PDF files and text files and so on and so forth. So, uh, so it's pretty versatile as far as the type of things that it reads. The I purchased the Kindle too, and I, I have a, a coworker who has the Kindle one, and and when I first saw it, I really liked it, but it definitely had some limitations, and all of those limitations uh, seem to have been fixed in the Kindle too. The Kindle 2 has a uh, better display. It refreshes faster. It does more shades of gray. I like the layout, the the way the buttons feel, and the way that they they work and stuff like that. And I'll talk a little bit about that. So, 
Uh, I think that the Kindle 2 is definitely a big improvement over the original Kindle. The problem with the Kindle 2, especially for someone like me who I would consider myself at best to be a casual reader, is the fact that the Kindle 2 sells for $359. Um, that is a lot of money for somebody that doesn't read that much. Uh, additionally, the Kindle 2 does not come with any sort of protective covering, which, you know, it basically it would be like buying a, I don't even know, like a $300 flat screen something and then just carrying around and throwing it in your bag. I mean, that the thought of that just, uh, you know, there are several reviews online from people that said, I bought my Kindle and the screen is already scratched within the first week. So uh, with your $359 purchase, you're going to figure in a $30 case. So with shipping and tax, now you're over $400, which is kind of the price that I refer to when people ask me what I paid. I say I paid um, $400 for the Kindle. And that is... A sizable chunk of change, uh, especially like I said, for somebody that doesn't uh, consider themselves to be that much of a reader. So why would I drop that kind of cash on an e-reader? Well, the first thing is it solves all those problems that I talked about about physical books uh, online. Uh, like I said, through whatever way you want to do. L let's talk about um, purchasing books first. Uh, all of Amazon's Kindle books, all of their new books, are basically listed at $9.99 or less. Now, there's been some recent controversy because there's been some ebooks that are listed at more than $9.99, and people are flagging those. And and uh, there's this basically that's the uh, the line in the sand that's been drawn that people don't want to pay more than $10 for an ebook, especially because you can't resell those after you've read them or anything like that. Once you you buy it, it's yours. So. But there are lots of books that are less than that on Amazon Store, too. There's a lot of $5 books. Um, but it solves that problem I have of going to bookstores, trying to find books, or spending too much on books. You know, so, so that part of it I like. What I like even more, and something that I have uh, really is something that applies to everything that I buy, is I like, I don't mind spending more for the device if I can get the quote unquote software for free. In other words, I you know I might spend a little bit more on an MP3 player because I already have MP3, so it's not going to cost me additional money to put the music on there. Um, and with the Kindle, there are so many free book repositories out there. I mean, if you go out to um, oh the Gutenberg Project, for example, which is a huge collection of free, uh, copyright-free books. All the it's it's filled with uh, you know all the classic classic novels and stuff, and you can take those if they're in text format. You could copy them directly to the Kindle. Um, if they're not, if they're in uh, like the Word doc file or PDF or whatever, you'll have to run them through a conversion process. But still, you can take any of those and then copy them directly to the Kindle. And so, I mean, if you think about just that one website alone that's 25,000 books that you can read that's more books than I'll ever read in my lifetime uh, and there are many many repositories like that in addition there are ways uh, you know just like software and music and everything else uh, people scan in new books uh, or convert you know online books or whatever and, and you can find those too so anyway um, it, it kind of helped me justify the, the price knowing that I could basically fill this with free books uh, and read free books on it. So that was you know one thing that helped convince me. Another thing that helped convince me is that the Kindle comes with 
free 3G internet access for the life of the device. There's no service charge, um, you know, no monthly fees or anything like that. You have a 3G device that connects to the internet. The Kindle does come with a pretty rudimentary web browser. I don't know when the last time you surfed the web on a 3x5 16 grayscale color screen was, but you're not going to be watching a lot of YouTube videos on this thing. Well, you can't even do that because uh, uh, the browser's limitations. But the internet access is obviously designed so that the Kindle can connect to the Amazon store and download books that way. But you can also use it as a web browser, and I have used it uh, to look up things on uh, Wikipedia or Google or basic, uh, I've checked my email on it. So I was paying the data plan on my phone, which was 40, I think $44, let's just say $40 a month uh, for internet access. So the other justification in my head was if I cut off the data plan on my phone for a year, that would cover the price of the Kindle. So so that's what I did. I turned the data plan off on my phone right now, which was about a month before I discovered Twitter, and so now I'm thinking about turning it back on. But uh, So anyway, let's talk about the Kindle itself. It is um, very sleek. It is white. I have described it as something that Apple would probably release. It looks um, Mac-y, if that's a word, an adjective. Um on the I'm looking at mine now here on uh the top of the unit well the the device itself is about the size of a uh a medium sized paperback book i mean as far as the dimensions here the top has a power slider that you can slide you know back and forth to toggle the machine on and off and it also has a headphone jack which I'll talk about shortly why you would want that the right side has a little rocker for the volume, that's all that's on the right hand side, and the bottom has a USB connector. And this is a micro USB or mini USB, I forget which one this is, but uh, it's annoying because it's the kind that nothing else that I own has. So now I have one additional USB cable just for my Kindle. It would have been nice if they had put the same type of USB connection that's on my MP3 player, my phone, uh, my digital camera, yada, 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 but they didn't. So now I have another cable. Great. The Kindle can be charged, has to be charged, through that cable, and the cable has a, an adapter where you can either charge it through the USB or it has a wall socket adapter so you can plug it in. So... Let's talk about the front of the Kindle. And I'm actually looking at the device here. There are t uh, what I would call tab-type buttons on the left and the right running down the side. The left hand has uh, previous page and next page buttons. The right hand side has next page and home. So uh, you can comfortably hold the Kindle in one hand and sit there and, and read it and, and flip through your pages forward. The right-hand side also has a menu and back buttons, and it also has a little, I guess you would call it a nubby-type joystick. It's a little nub uh, that you can press around and go through the menus. The original Kindle had a roller, which, you know, I've, I've like I said, I've, I have limited uh, exposure to the original Kindle, but 
it never felt very natural. But this nub, I mean, it works like a joystick. So uh, when you pick up the device, you know, you get it. It's it doesn't stick up very hard. So a lot of times, I I find myself nudging it around with the edge of my thumb a little bit. But maybe I just have um, weird thumbs. But uh, the the nub also presses in, just like uh, an analog stick on the PS3 or whatever. So. Uh, and then down at the bottom of the Kindle, there is a full QWERTY keyboard, and there's some extra buttons down there which um, d uh, perform different functions uh, for the Kindle, like adjusting the text size or whatever. Uh, so now I'm going to go ahead and go into, um, you know, Amazon has included a really odd feature in the Kindle too, and that is a screensaver. Now the Kindle operates on what is called e-ink technology, and the idea is that battery life is only used when it is writing text to the screen and then that e-ink uh, stays there and so no battery life is used uh, while you're reading the text and so that gives the unit a really long battery life. Uh, with the wireless enabled you can get anywhere from I think three to five days maybe of battery life but with the wireless off I can go a month of reading mine uh, off and on you know without uh, recharging it. So the battery life is really good, but I guess because of the e-ink technology, Amazon has implemented a screensaver. The screensaver rotates through about 25 random pictures of dead authors. Some of these authors are people you know, some of these authors are people you don't know. So every time that I uh, picked up my Kindle and show it to somebody, they would say, who is that? And then I would say, I don't know, some dead guy that I that I don't know who they are. And so it's a really odd feature that Amazon didn't include a way to put custom pictures in your screensaver. Now, people have already released, there are a couple of different screensaver hacks for the Amazon Kindle, and uh, basically what these do is change the units. Um, it's, a, it's a firmware update, actually, is what it is, and it redirects the directory where it pulls the pictures of the screensaver application. And, and by this, then you can connect uh, your Kindle to your computer through the USB connection and make another directory and copy your own pictures in um, 600 by 800 resolution. And, and, of course, they'll appear as grayscale on the Kindle. Uh, and if you could convert them to 16-color grayscale and, and come up with some uh, pretty small pictures. And actually what I did on mine was uh, I found a website that was full of old comic book covers. And so I thought that was kind of cool. So now uh, my the screensaver on my Kindle, whenever I open it up, just has, you know, different covers from old comic books, mostly um, Tales from the Crypt and uh, horror tales and, and those type of comic books. So I thought that was kind of neat. But but yeah, for them not to include that, that's kind of a weird feature. But anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and turn my Kindle on here. And when the Kindle turns on, uh, you are presented basically with a list of the books, the readable files that you have on your Kindle. One of the major annoyances that I see with the Kindle is that um, there is no way to do custom organization of your books. The Kindle has three or four built-in sorting methods. You can sort uh, your books alphabetically. You can sort them based on uh, last time they were accessed or added to that, and that's fine. But what you can't do is create folders. Now, this becomes a problem because the Kindle has 2 gig of internal storage. And if you've messed with, you know, 2 gig in today's world just doesn't really sound like a lot. I have a 4 gig uh SD card and my digital camera, you know, so 2 gig seems fairly limited. But when you start looking at 
uh, all these ebooks that are really, really small in size. Two gig of storage will go a long way, but the problem is going to become finding anything. Now you can actually type, you know, on the Kindle and go through, you know, the search features if you're looking for something by a specific author or something on the title or whatever. But it would be much simpler to be able to have folders to where I could organize, you know, my computer books, um, fiction, nonfiction, something like that. So that's something that would not surprise me to see in a Kindle update. Uh, not too far down the line. But anyway, so now I'm looking here uh, at my list of books, and you can move around with your little nub. And I'm going to open up a book that I recently read by Ray Bradbury called Zen and the Art of Writing. And so the, the book loads up really fast. It's already open. And just like a normal book, you can start flipping through the pages. Now, what it... Um, some neat features when you are reading is that with that little joystick nub, I could go highlight any word that I'm reading and it immediately links to the unit's um, dictionary. So like I just highlighted the, the word barrel and immediately down at the bottom it pops up and says a uh, cylindrical container bulging out in the middle, traditionally made of wooden staves with, and then uh, let's see here, hit enter to go down for more. It just takes up a little small part of the... Uh, screen. Oh, and so when I when I hit more it actually pulls up the entire entry. A cylindrical container bulging out in the middle, traditionally made of wooden staves with metal hoops around them. Uh and then it has um oddly enough it does not have a definition of that uh, has anything to do with Donkey Kong, which is too bad. Uh so you know, if you're reading a book or whatever and, and there are words, you know, you don't have to stop and look them up. Now you can also uh, there are links from here where I can send that directly to Google or to Wikipedia from right here, which is kind of cool. So um, it's it's a lot more interactive than a you know regular what you call a regular type book. Now, recently there was a Kindle firmware update, which comes you know over the uh, wireless connection. It downloads directly to the unit, and it did a couple of things. It makes the unit refresh faster when you flip pages. But another thing it did was. Uh, it affected one of the unit's most controversial features, which is its ability to convert text to speech. And that's one of the things that the headphone jack on the top would be used for. So uh, now that I have Ray Bradbury's book here open, I'm going to hit Menu, and I'm going to click on Start Text to Speech. I'm going to hold the Kindle here by the mic, and hopefully you'll be able to hear this. And you can listen to the Kindle read... Ray Bradbury. How is it that the boy I was in October 1929 could, because of the criticism of his fourth grade schoolmates, gear up his Buck Rogers comic strips and a month later judge all of his friends' idiots and rush back to collecting? Where did the judgment and strength come from? What sort of process did I experience to enable me to say, I'm as good as dead? Who is killing me? What do I suffer from? What's the cure? All right, so that is Ray Bradbury as performed by the Amazon Kindle. Now, the um, group representing voice actors of America uh, had a very vocal backlash when it came to the Kindle, and they said that uh, that the Kindle's text-to-speech feature was going to be putting voice actors out of business. So, I mean, based on that, if you're voice actors don't sound that good I mean if they sound like a GPS reading to you then it might be time for some new voice actors I mean that doesn't sound like it would replace anybody to me but uh, based on that Amazon has implemented a way for uh, publishers to opt out of the text to speech 
feature. Now that um, ebook that it was reading right there was a text file. It's plain text that I downloaded. So there's no sort of conversion or anything like that for the text to speech features. It just does that on the fly. Now let's talk about a little bit about getting books onto the Kindle. You can get books onto your Kindle multiple ways. The first one I already mentioned, which is uh, visiting the Amazon store directly with the Kindle. You can do shopping and uh, you can pick out whatever you want whenever you're uh, after you've made your purchase, it builds your Amazon account and the book is delivered to your Kindle and off you go. So there's no need to be tethered to a computer or anything like that. You, know, you can be on the go. You can go check out the store and if there's a, a new bestseller or whatever, you can send it to your Kindle and you'll be on your way. Uh, so that's what a lot of people do. That's not what I do. I, I have purchased a couple of books that way just to see how it works and it works okay. But um, now let's talk about cheapskates like me. Through the USB cable, you can copy data directly to and from the Kindle. Anything that's not in Amazon's uh, format will have to be converted. Well, the, the Kindle basically will only natively read the Amazon uh, format books and plain text. So if you're talking about something that's written in uh, RTF perhaps, or uh, like I said, a doc file, a PDF, those files are going to have to be converted. And there are two basic ways to do that. The first one is you can use Amazon who will convert documents for you. Now every Kindle when it is purchased comes with its own email address based on uh, what your, your registered account is on Amazon. You can take a PDF and email it to your email address of your Kindle. Uh, that email goes through Amazon it's converted on the fly and it is then sent to your Kindle. You're billed 10 cents for this uh, conversion. That is a really easy, non-technical way to get things on your Kindle if you feel like paying 10 cents for them and also uh, letting Amazon know every single thing that you're sending to your Kindle, which I am not a fan of. Uh, the other option is doing those conversions to yourself, and there are several uh, freeware programs. Moby Converter is a really popular one among uh, Kindle owners, and you can uh, convert any of those types of files over to the Amazon format. And once you have those files converted, you copy them over to the USB, and they show up on the Kindle, and you can read them. Uh, and that's totally, totally free and totally legal. Uh, and supported by Amazon. Now, I've had people ask, how does the conversion process work? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on a lot of things. On doc files, I would say it is fast, quick, and 100% accurate. On most ebook type formats, it is fast, quick, and 100% accurate. On PDFs, your mileage may vary. The biggest factor is the format, the actual layout of the document. Uh, if we were talking about a PDF that's basically text, then Mobi Converter should have no problem converting that document over. If you're talking about a... Uh, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I, For proofreading purposes, I received a PDF copy of the Digital Press newsletter. So I thought, well, let's see how this looks on the Amazon Kindle. I converted the PDF and sent it to the Kindle, and the newsletter's two- and three-column layout completely confused Moby Converter. Basically, what it did was put all the first columns together, and then the second columns, and then the third columns, and made it one long story. So every page or two on the Kindle 
you know, I'd be reading about one topic and then it would jump to another story and then jump to the third story and then jump back to the first story and so on and so forth. So I've also tried converting a couple of uh, PDFs that were pretty graphic intensive and you could just kind of forget that working. I mean, it, it it's going to work. You're going to get the text on your Kindle, but who knows what the formatting is going to be like. And really, at that point, you have to decide if it's, is this is something you're going to read. I mean, if you have a PDF that has small graphics in it, then Mobi Converter does a pretty good job of handling those. It'll pull the graphics out and put it on a page of its own and so on. But uh, for stuff that has intricate layouts i haven't had good luck at all and it also takes a while too for those type of conversions so uh your mileage might vary on that but anyway you know overall i've been really happy with the kindle one thing uh people ask me a lot about is the screen like how is the screen and i have to tell you i think the screen is great um it's not like reading on a computer at all which was one of the things you know the proponents in my poll on digital press mentioned was that the e-ink technology is not like a laptop screen. It's much easier on the eyes. Now, and the one, I guess, uh, the one negative aspect of the e-ink technology is that it is not backlit at all. So this unit actually has no internal light source, so to speak. So you can read this anywhere you can read a regular book. It's not as bad as a cell phone screen. I don't have any problem reading it outside or in the car or in the living room or anywhere where you would read a normal book. But in low light situations, just like a regular book, you're not going to be able to read the Kindle either. And I have seen some USB devices that plug in that provide light or I actually there's a new book cover that has a, a little battery pack and it has a, a flip out light. So, you know, there are some third party solutions out there, but... Uh, like I said, I'm not that big of a reader anyway, and so uh, when I do want to read something, I just move to where there's light, which has been the easiest solution for me so far. There are lots of little features built into the Kindle, like uh, you can adjust the size of the the fonts, and there's actually a hack now where you can change the font. There's a lot of, of interesting hacks coming out right now. The one that I'm worried about uh, that people have it's kind of a hush-hush thing that people are working on, but um, apparently there are groups working on trying to get tethering to work from the Kindle. Tethering, uh, as you know, as it applies to cell phones, is connecting your laptop to your cell phone and then using your cell phone's internet connection um, so you're, you're tethered to that for your internet. And so because the Kindle offers free 3G uh, wireless connections, there is interest of using it as a tethering device to, that way you could um, connect your laptop and get free internet. I hope people don't do that. Um, I mean, I, I understand that in doing it for the interest in hacking and the interest in in uh, you know, figuring out how things work and, and that part's okay, but what I'm worried about is that um, based off that, then we may see uh, Amazon implement you know security features. They may start looking more heavily at traffic or or uh, limiting people's traffic each month. And like I said, I, you're, nobody who owns this is using this as their primary or secondary or probably uh, it may you know it's as far as web browsers go, it's pretty far down the list. I I've used it in a, a pinch. I've used it um, you know to look up words or things like that, and I've used it uh, obviously to connect to the Amazon store, and occasionally I've used it to. Uh, look up something on Google when I'm out. But I think the Kindle audience are people that are probably pretty well connected anyway. They probably have other ways to get online. So I hope that um, abuse of that doesn't 
uh, end up ruining it for everybody else. But anyway, we'll we'll see how that goes. Hey, my screensaver just kicked back in, and now I I'm looking at um, uh, Richie Rich <laughs> comic book cover on the Kindle. So in summary, I enjoy the Kindle. I um, it has caused me to read more than I was reading, and I I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's because it's more convenient. I mean, I think it is, and it's easier to get the books that I want to read, so those are pluses. Plus, every time I look at the damn thing, I feel so guilty for spending $400 on it that I'm like, oh, God, I really should go read. Uh, so that's that's another part of it. One thing I mentioned in my initial blog post a couple months ago when I got the Kindle 2 was um, uh, even though it looks like a book and it has the same basic form factor as a book... Um, Mentally, you're not going to treat this thing like a book. You're going to treat it like a $400 device, which means you're going to be very careful about leaving it, you know, laying around in a restaurant or, you know, on the dash of your car, things like that. So uh, it, it's convenient in one way. It's it's more convenient than physical books. I mean, you could carry a lot of books with you and you could search the books um, have the books read to you through the text-to-speech, you know, things like that. So um, in one way, it's a lot more convenient, but in another way, you, you know, it's not like a book. You're not just going to leave it laying around. Recently, I took the uh, – on the my trip to Cleveland, I stopped at a restaurant. Actually, it was a Chinese buffet, and uh, I hate eating by myself. I don't, don't you hate that? Like when you're on a trip and basically – you know, you could either do room service in the hotel, you could go to a uh, fast food place and go through drive through and then eat it in your car or back at the hotel room. Or eventually, I mean, when you've gone on, I've been working uh, and traveling for 15 years now, so eventually you have to suck it up unless you want to eat fast food on, you know, weeks at a time and go to restaurants by yourself. So that, you know, I thought, well, the Kindle will will um, make that easier. So I went to this Chinese buffet and I took my Kindle with me and and immediately I realized this, I had this logistic problem where I was not going to leave it at the table sitting by itself. So here I am, you know, with the Kindle tucked under my arm, uh, you know, scooping out piles of sweet and sour chicken and frozen sushi. Uh, but one thing that is for sure is that if you carry around the Kindle, people are going to ask you about it. And I had several people at dinner you know, complete strangers walked by and asked me, and the waitress and the guy sitting next to me and several people asked me about the Kindle. And, and so you kind of, it's weird, you kind of become this little spokesperson for the product. I don't know, kind of weird, but it's kind of cool too. Uh, and then again, you kind of become self-conscious about it. And as the more people that ask you about it, uh, the more you start hanging on to it tightly. But anyway, that, that's my basic review of the Kindle too. I, I do enjoy it. I think it's a good reader. Uh, I think there are some software, some minor software flaws that uh, doesn't seem to me to be anything that can't be fixed through some firmware upgrades. Um, but I do enjoy it. So going back to that poll I did on digital press, the uh, proponents of buying a netbook had some really good points too. You know, it does function as an ebook reader. It may not have the uh, has nowhere near the same type of battery life, but it does read any format of file that you want to. And in addition, it's also a computer. You know, so the more I thought about it, I thought you know there's some really good points to owning both devices. And so I decided to go ahead and buy. Uh, a netbook too, and I bought the Acer Aspire One uh, with a nine-inch screen. I made a mental line that I wouldn't pay more than two hundred dollars for a netbook. 
there were certain reasons for that. And the main one was that it wasn't going to be able to replace my laptop because they have solid state drives. Now, solid state drives are drives with no moving parts. And the good news is they get much longer uh, battery life. And they're probably going to last much longer because they don't, like I said, they don't have any moving parts. The bad part is, is that I had to make a decision. And for the same price, I could either get a 4 gig solid state drive or I could get a 120 gig laptop drive. And I'm not ready to move to the cloud yet. I don't want to store all my stuff online. I have stuff stored online in Google Docs and and uh, you know, backup files and things like that. But I'm just not ready to put everything I need in the cloud. So uh, I made the decision to go with a regular hard drive, and that drove the price up a little bit. Now, like I said, I had this um, $200 price point mentally in my head, and I've been waiting for netbooks to get down to that price, and they haven't done that. But what happened over the last year or even over the last few months, is that manufacturers have started increasing the size of the screens. Uh, the, the line between netbook and laptop is slowly being blurred, I think. Uh, to me, a netbook is you know something with a 9-inch or 10-inch screen, something like that, where a laptop is something with a you know, 13, 14, 15, 17, whatever, inch screen. But slowly what we're seeing is that netbooks are slowly increasing their screen size. In fact, there are several now with 12-inch screens that, that are still considered to be netbooks. And uh, But I wasn't really interested in that. And as the screens are getting bigger, the older ones are slowly being phased out. And that was okay. That met my needs, a 9-inch screen. So uh, I was okay with that. And so the Acer Aspire 1 got down to about $299, um, which piqued my interest, but it just didn't seem quite low enough yet. But um, Tiger Direct actually ran a sale of refurbished units, uh, and the price of those was two twenty nine. And I thought, you know what, two twenty nine, that's close enough to two hundred for me. So that that's what I ordered: the Acer Aspire One, a nine inch with a hundred twenty gig hard drive. Now, uh, you may hear some wires dragging around, and that is because I am recording this podcast off the Acer Aspire One, which is something that the Kindle obviously cannot do. Um, so it is a fully functional computer. It has most of the ports that you would see on a, on a normal laptop. Uh, on the left-hand side here, there's the power adapter, or you know, a little plug-in for your power. You have a standard 15-pin VGA out. You have a 10-100 uh, network connection, USB 2.0 port, and a SD card reader. Like me, if you're one of those guys that takes a million pictures and then you want to you know get them uploaded as soon as possible or whatever uh, that, that makes it really handy where you can just uh, you know plug your SD card in in on the side the other side of the unit has microphone and headphone jacks it has two more USB 2.0 ports and it has a 5-in-1 card reader so uh, you know your SD or all the different formats that you need to plug in there so um, so you got you know a lot of, of options on there. There are a few things that are missing that my regular full-size Dell laptop has. The first thing is a PCMCIA slot, which uh, I didn't even think about when I ordered this, but I have a PCMCIA Sprint card. Uh, but I think uh, through Cricut and some of the other services, we're, we're already seeing uh, those are moving to USB 
So I don't really see that as a problem. I think PCMCIA is relatively old technology that's being phased out. and Those devices are being converted to USB. So I don't see that as a, as a major hurdle. Uh, it also doesn't have a FireWire connection, which is the other uh, PCMCIA card that I use on my laptop, which I use for moving digital video off my camcorder. You know, inside, I forgot to mention that the uh, unit has uh, supports 802.11b and g uh, out of the box, and it also has a built-in uh, webcam built into the lid. So, if you know, for uh, Skype or, or video on the go, whatever you want to do, uh, maybe uh, Podcast 108 will be a video podcast. Probably not. But hey, you know, but it's got that feature right there. So... So basically what you have here is a fully functioning scaled down laptop. Now, the la- the uh, Acer Aspire ships with either Windows XP or Linspire. And to be honest, uh, this particular model shipped with XP, I would have been okay with either one. Uh, people have already ported Ubuntu or Ubuntu. I'm always going to say that wrong. Uh, Fedora and uh, several other Linux flavors to the Acer Aspire. There are different... So there there have been a lot of quirks about getting the wireless to work and about getting it to getting the machine to wake up after uh suspending you know for hibernation or whatever but those problems are being worked on and so whatever the os of choice of yours i i still have xp on mine in fact um it came with xp home so i basically had the unit for about 12 minutes before i made a uh a ghost image, a Cronus uh, image of the drive, and then formatted it and through XP. And, and Acer has all the drivers, all the XP and Linux drivers uh, available on their website. So I didn't have any problem reloading it with XP Professional and, and uh, joining it to the domain. It has an Intel Atom processor running at uh, 1.6 gigahertz, and it has a gig of RAM. So uh, like I said, Video Vegas or Sony Vegas 7 right now is not having any problem running on it uh, as I'm doing this this podcast. And I've not had any problems with any other software than normal software. You know, for, for the most part, I have been using it as a netbook, which means I've been doing a lot of Google Docs and, you know, online type things. And, and I haven't had any problems with that stuff. So it runs as good as any 1.6 gigahertz machine with a gig of RAM as you would expect it to run, you know. So... That hasn't been a problem. Uh, now, I'll, now I will tell you the things that I do not like about the Acer Aspire. And I don't think that, well, some of these are specific to the Aspire, but I think a lot of these are going to apply to um, netbooks in general. The first one, let me tell you two things that apply specifically to the Acer Aspire. Number one is the unit's finish. Now, the actual case is gorgeous. It is a a blue sparkle type paint and you know I mean the only thing I could liken it to is um, every dune buggy I ever saw in the 1970s that's exactly what it looks like I mean it's uh, a little bit more subdued than that it's, it's a dark blue but in the light you know it's just uh, there's these little sparkles in there and it's very shiny uh, and it's a you know a really good looking netbook the problem is is that um, number one? It is a fingerprint magnet. I mean, every time it looks like I've just walked, you know, like I've eaten an entire grease pizza, and just rubbed my hands all over it. I, you know, if if I'm ever murdered and someone steals this thing, this will have fingerprint evidence for life. I, it is covered in fingerprints. So, uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, I don't. I'm not that greasy of a guy. I don't think. Um, 
But yeah, so the, so the finish number one, it's just a fingerprint magnet, and then number two, there are multiple scratches all over the unit already. I put, I've carried this unit basically in my laptop bag, in a, a set, you know, my my backpack has two pouches, and they're both padded and separated, and my laptop's in one, and this sits in the other. So there's really not anything else in there for it to be scratched by. So I'm not sure where these scratches are coming from, but it does appear to be pretty easily uh, scratchable. Now, if you looked at the website, I, I put a picture up on this same blog post of the sticker that I recently applied to, and I found this sticker on eBay. Uh, there's a guy selling, this was a 5 by 7 Space Invader sticker. I thought that was kind of appropriate, so uh, I stuck that on the back, and there there are lots of, you know, different stickers. People want to make, uh, make their laptops unique. It's a, I don't know, maybe that's a just a nerd thing, a way of people express themselves. But uh, so I did that, you know, to express my individuality and um, to make my machine unique, uh, and more importantly, to hide all the scratches that have developed in the last month on the back of this thing. So yeah, whatever. But that's one thing about the Acer, and another thing about the Acer Aspire is the touchpad. Now, my Dell is old enough that it has a, not only a touchpad, but it also has the. Uh, uh, you know, a little finger nubby, whatever you want to call that thing, in the in the middle of the keyboard, and uh, the Acer Aspire doesn't have that. So you're either going to have to use a USB mouse attached to the machine, or use the touchpad. Now, on every other laptop I've ever used that has a touchpad, the touchpad itself is sunken in just a little bit. So when you're not looking, you can run your finger across, and you kind of fall into, you know, where the touchpad is. The Aspire's touchpad is actually higher than the buttons, um, which creates some kind of unique problems. The first problem is, unless you're looking, it's hard to hit the touchpad because it's uh, basically the same height as the case and the buttons are sunk down. So the case feels a lot like the touchpad. Um, it's, it's really weird. And the second problem is, like I said, the buttons are lower than the touchpad. There are these two little valleys on either side of the touchpad, and they when you press them, they click inward towards the touchpad, which means whenever you click them, almost inevitably, your finger touches the side of the touchpad, and the mouse goes crazy and shoots to whichever side uh, that you've just clicked. Now, of course, for single clicks, you know, it supports the normal touch gesture, so you can tap on the uh, touchpad and click, things like that, but for right clicks or whatever, it's just really a pain, and, and uh, you know, the, the very edges of it are also not, uh, I don't know, it, it's definitely not as good as the um, touchpad on my Dell 620. When, you, when you're scrolling or whatever, you hold it down and it, I don't know, I don't like it. <laughs> That's a five minute way of saying I don't like it. So uh, there you go. Not a fan of the touchpad. Now the other problem that applies to more than just the Acer, but it applies to I think all netbooks, is the keyboard. Obviously, when you look at a netbook, you can see that it's scaled down. Uh, and that means that, to some extent, the keys are either going to be smaller or relocated or, most likely, both. And that is the case with the Acer Aspire. The keys are physically a little bit smaller than a normal keyboard, and they're in different positions than your keyboard. There are buttons that I use that have been in the same damn place for 20 or 30 years. And so to move these really stinks. 
Now, obviously, your QWERTY keys and your number keys and your function keys are all basically in the same place. But where we start moving things around are things like the arrow keys, which are now located to the, in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, and this is not uh, totally uh, unheard of. Um, but you have a little matrix of six keys. So the bottom keys are left, down, and right, and the top middle one is up. The two next to that are page up and page down, which I have never seen in that area. And typically, page up and page down are on top of one another because for up, you would press the up button, and down, you would press the down button. But now we have up on the left and down on the right. Also, with the... Uh, like many laptops, there's a function key, and the function key, uh, not the F1 through uh, F12 keys, but an actual FN function key, which can be held down uh, to adjust different things like um, making the volume louder and lower, which is uh, function and the arrows up and down, or making the screen brighter or dimmer, which is function and the arrows left and right. But home and end, which are two keys that some of us use on a very regular basis, especially people that are writers, um, which if you're on the internet, you probably are. Function page up is now home, and function page down is end. And if you want to jump to the beginning or end of a document, now you must hold control and function and page up in a place where you're not used to hitting page up. And so this becomes a big pain in the butt. Um, what this does is prevent you from touch typing, which is something that many of us nerds have been doing for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Another problem is keys that have changed shapes. Uh, for example, tab is now the same size as every other key. Um, and the backspace key, which is slightly larger, I mean, if a regular key is, is 100%, then maybe the backspace is 110 or 120, whereas the inner key is probably 150%. So an inner is a key and a half, uh, and the right shift key is probably, it's actually bigger than two keys. Um, but the left shift key is not. <laughs> so if I close my eyes and try to type something, I will never get it right. Um, when taking notes, sometimes I've stopped hit using shift, and I'll go back and, and fix things later on a regular keyboard. Delete and insert and pause and, and print screen, you know, those are okay. The backspace key is, is um, sometimes hard to hit because of its small size. Um, what I'm saying here is that uh, to type the way that you type now on a regular keyboard is going to take looking or practice or both. Um, one of my pretend made-up dreams uh, was that I would be able to take the netbook and go off and work on writing in remote places. Um, I My Dell laptop has a battery life of around 12 minutes. Uh, I have extended that to about an hour by adding a second battery. I don't know what it is about my Dell laptop, but um, I have you know reconditioned the batteries. I charge the batteries. I don't charge the batteries. I take them out. I plug them in. I've done everything I could do, and that stupid laptop uh, just eats batteries. Um, with the Acer Aspire, just doing normal type uh, you know web activity or whatever, I get around three hours of battery life. I'm up to three hours, between two and a half and three, depending on. Uh, what I'm doing. So, uh, and you're not, obviously you're not going to, you know, be killing your battery life with a DVD drive because it doesn't have one. 
my thought was that I would be able to, you know, go park out by the lake or go, you know, wherever it is that that other writers that are writing things uh, write. So I thought that would be a good idea. And and as far as mobility and portability, it does offer that. You know, the screen is plenty big enough for anything that I need to do. It's plenty big for writing. It's plenty big for surfing the web and checking email. I don't have any problems with that. But the problem I have is typing uh, with any sense of accuracy or speed on this keyboard. And um, I, like I said, I can't um, nail that specifically to the Acer Aspire. It, really, it's a problem with netbooks in general. It's not a problem. It's the design. And the design is to make a, a smaller unit. It's like complaining that the keyboard on your phone is so small. I mean, nobody wants to lug around a full-size USB or Bluetooth keyboard and use it on their phone every time they want to text somebody. So... Um, you know, it, it really just takes some getting used to. It takes, uh, I guess I'll say it takes more getting used to than what I was expecting. Uh, and I get, that's the key right there. I mean, I, I figured that it would take a little bit, but it's, I'm still getting used to it a month later. The other problem is, is that now I have a Kindle and a laptop and a netbook. And the netbook has ended up uh, in third place as far as uh, use right now. So if it were my primary machine, I would probably be, you know, would be used to the keyboard by now. Um, but uh, uh, still working on it. So, but I do enjoy it. Um, as far as the netbooks go, I, I don't have any problem with the Acer over any other one. I'm an emulator fan. I've already copied over my uh, uh, Commodore emulator and and uh, ROMs, and and I've got Mame on there, and and uh, you know I run those things with a USB joystick, and I haven't had any problems with that kind of stuff. On my last road trip, I used it to play MP3s, uh, you know, broadcasting those to the car. No problem with that. So it, it's uh, basically it's a, a processor-wise lower end, but it's a fully functional laptop that's smaller. Um, it's bigger, slightly bigger than the Kindle in in its case. I'm just overlaying it now right now, and it's uh, a full inch wider and... Um, with the, if you include the battery, it's a full inch uh, deeper as well. So it is a little bit bigger. Um, I don't carry a purse, but I, if I did, it would be that would be odd. Um, but for the ladies out there, I think this would easily slide into most purses. That shouldn't be a problem. Uh, and for guys, I don't know that you would get this in a pocket. Maybe of some uh, pretty big cargo pants, you might. Um, but it's light enough that you can carry around, and it's not um, not a big issue. So it's definitely portable. It definitely runs everything that I need it to run. Um, and you know, with a little bit of a little bit more time on the keyboard, maybe I'll get a little bit more proficient with that. So here we are around the hour mark again, and um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of 107, talking about the Kindle 2 and the Acer Aspire, and. Um, we're going to try and stay on track at least once a month, um, maybe slightly more than that. I'll probably be talking more about Nauticon and Block Party on the next episode. So uh, if the, that con scene and, and OEGE, the uh, Oklahoma Electronic Game Expo, and actually there are rumors now of OVGE, the Oklahoma Video Game Expo, returning uh, to Tulsa, Oklahoma this fall. So I think next uh, episode we're going to be talking about all those conference things like that, so that should be pretty cool. So uh, keep an eye on the website. The website is robohara.com. There is an RSS feed for the podcast and an RSS feed for the website, so sign up for those. 
I am now on Twitter. Twitter.com. You know why? Because I'm the last person. Once Oprah is on Twitter before me, I should just kill myself. I don't even know how this happened. But um, I left this morning, my building, and my doorman said, I hear you're tweeting today. <laughs> and I said, yeah, do you, are you, you're Twitter? He goes, I don't even know what it is. Uh, you know what? If people want, want to read uh, about where I'm eating or uh, my the regulatory of my bowel movements, or anything else like that, uh, you could find me on Twitter, twitter.com. My user ID is Commodore, just like the first book, C-O-M-M-O-D-O-R-K. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on MySpace. If you're looking for me online, I'm not hard to find. So um, hit one of those websites. Send me an email if you have any show requests or any questions. Um, be sure to go to the blog and sign up and register uh, with your email address and you'll get emailed every time I post a new blog entry. Um, hit those RSS feeds and I will see you next month. Thank you for listening and flag out. <laughs>